be a year of growth? Is it going to be a year where you draw deeper in your relationship with Him? Is it going to be a year where you draw deeper into His Word, becoming more like Jesus in the way that you live, in the way that you talk, in the way that you think? I hope that you'll consider those questions not only today, not only this week or this month as we begin 2023, but I hope you'll think about those questions throughout the entirety of the year. I hope that this year, as individuals and as a congregation, we'll become more like God wants us to be. And since I didn't get to be with you last week, appreciate Michael filling in for me on such short notice, since I didn't get to be with you last week, I also want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope that you had a good holiday. I hope that you had a very Merry Christmas, that you were able to spend time with family, to open up some good presents, and to eat some good food. Christmas brings up a lot of different things. First and foremost, it remembers the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that December 25th is not Jesus' birthday. I know that Jesus, when you look at the story in the New Testament, He was more than likely born in another season of the year, not during wintertime. I know the history of how the Christmas holiday came about in the 4th century A.D., But you think about where we are in a season like this one. There are so many people who are thinking about Jesus. There are so many people who are thinking about and remembering specifically the birth of Jesus. People who are thinking about the Lord who might not think about Him again until Easter time in the spring. So since we didn't get to be together last week, I want us to spend some time this morning thinking about the birth of Jesus considering the significance, considering the importance of our Lord being born into this broken and sinful world, not only during the Christmas season, but throughout every season. The significance of the birth of Jesus in our lives every single day that we live. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Isaiah the ninth chapter. I appreciate John reading Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 for us. That's where we're going to be studying. That's where we're going to be drawing our thoughts as we consider the birth of of our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah the ninth chapter, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. If you'll turn with me there, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. What we're going to do this morning, our plan for this morning, is actually very simple. First, I want us to walk through this passage of Scripture. I want us to note the context of what's happening. I want us to note what Isaiah is wanting to communicate in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Then, towards the end of our lesson, when we attempt to bring it to a close, we'll see the relevance for our lives. We'll invite Isaiah chapter 9 into our hearts, into our minds, as we consider the significance of the birth of Jesus. When you look at the context of Isaiah chapter 9, you find that God's chosen people, Israel, had a lot of different problems. They had a lot of different difficulties that they were dealing with in the context of Isaiah chapter 9. It's kind of like on April 11th of 1970, Apollos 13 made a mission to land on the moon. When they were 56 hours into that mission, 200,000 miles into space, they had just said goodnight to their families whenever an oxygen tank on the side of the spacecraft exploded. Amazingly, all three of the astronauts survived. What was said next is a phrase that maybe we've said before. It's a phrase I know that we've heard before. Houston, we have a problem. 
when we look at the context of Isaiah chapter 9, Israel is saying something very similar. The northern kingdom of Israel had a lot of different problems. Just to note the history, if you go 250 years into the past, the united kingdom of Israel divided into two different kingdoms. They divided into two different nations. You had the northern kingdom of Israel consisting of ten tribes, which we're going to focus our attention on in Isaiah chapter 9. And you had the southern kingdom of Judah, which consisted of two tribes. Here, looking at Isaiah chapter 9, when Isaiah writes these words, the northern kingdom of Israel consisting of ten tribes had not only been attacked, but they had been conquered and taken into captivity by the mighty and brutal Assyrians. It brought so many problems into their lives, not just as a nation, but also as individuals. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 4, Isaiah warned them that it was going to happen. He says the spoil of Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern kingdom, the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. If you drop down to the end of the chapter, chapter 8 and verse number 22, you find how this season of life was described. It was a time of distress, darkness, gloom, and anguish. The northern kingdom of Israel was thrust into the thick darkness. Looking at chapter 9 and verse 1, it was a time of gloom and anguish. He says, in the former time, God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Israel had a lot of problems as they were conquered and taken into captivity by the Assyrians. They lost their nation. They lost their economy. They lost their autonomy. Families were separated from one another. Families lost loved ones. The land that God had given to His chosen people, the land that God had promised, the land that God had given to the nation of Israel was stripped away from them and given to Gentiles. Israel had a lot of problems. Even though that's the case, even though they had a lot of problems and they had a lot of difficulties, when we look at the context surrounding Isaiah 9, when we look in the first seven verses, of this chapter, God promises a solution. Yes, they have a lot of problems. And those problems are great. Those problems are big. Those problems are painful. But those problems aren't going to be there forever. One day those problems are going to be resolved. One day those problems are going to be taken out of the way. Yes, they have problems. But those problems are not going to continue to define them forever. God promises a solution. And with that solution is going to come a complete 180 degree turn. God promises them a solution where all of their problems are going to be fixed. Everything that's broken is going to be mended. Notice the transformation when you look at the first few verses of chapter 9. First, God promises them a time when all things will be made glorious. They will go from shame to glory. Chapter 9 and verse 1. God promises a time of light. Chapter 9 and verse 2. Their darkness is going to be transformed into light. God promises them a time of joy in verse 3. Where their gloom and sorrow and distress and pain is going to be transformed into joy. He promises them a time of freedom. 
where they will be liberated, set free from their captivity. Chapter 9 and verse number 4. He promises them a time of victory when they will no longer be defeated by their enemies, but their enemies will be defeated. And they will be able to reign and to live in victory. Chapter 9 and verse 5. Israel has a lot of problems. Right now, they're in a time of gloom and distress and darkness and sadness and anguish. God points them forward to a time when a solution is going to come. And that solution is going to fix everything. That solution is going to change everything. That solution is going to mend everything that's broken. There's going to be a complete 180 degree turn. What is that solution? Put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 9. Imagine that you were the one originally hearing this message. You've been taken out of your homeland. You've been separated from your family. Everything that you once had is completely gone and you're in captivity in the land of Assyria, the leading world power at the time. But then God through Isaiah makes a promise. There's going to be a solution. Look, I know it's hard right now. I know it's difficult right now. I know it's painful right now. But a solution is coming. And the solution is going to fix everything. You can expect a time of glory. A time of light, joy, freedom, and victory. What would you expect that solution to be? More than likely, you might not know exactly what it's going to be. But you would expect it to be pretty big, wouldn't you? You would expect it to be pretty large. If we're going to get out of this, then God's going to have to raise up a strong and mighty king who's going to have a massive army. And that king with his army is going to conquer the Assyrians. They're going to set us free from our captivity. And we're finally going to be able to go back home. That might be what the expectation was. God reveals the solution to Israel's problems in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it's a solution that would have been very unexpected. It's a solution that would have been contrary to everything that they would have thought. It's kind of like the man who went into a bank in New York City. He walked in and asked to speak to the loan officer. So the loan officer came out to meet him. He told the loan officer that he needed a $5,000 loan. He was going to travel to Europe for two weeks and needed $5,000 in hand. So the loan officer worked out a deal with him. He told him, I'm going to need some collateral for this loan. So the man took his keys out of his pocket and tossed them across the table to the loan officer. He thought to himself, ah, this, this isn't going to work. Your, your, your car's not going to work for this loan. But when he looked down at the keys, he saw that it was keys to a brand new Rolls Royce. It was sitting outside of the entrance to the bank, right in plain sight. Well, since it's a Rolls Royce, we'll let it slip. The loan officer thought to himself. So he went through with the deal. He gave him the $5,000 loan. He took the Rolls Royce. One of his assistants got in the car and drove it in the underground garage underneath the bank. Two weeks later, the man came back. He repaid the $5,000 loan with the interest that it accrued, which equaled about $15.41. The loan officer came out to meet him before he left and said, we want to thank you for your business this transaction worked out really well, but we're a little bit confused. We did some research into who you are. We discovered that you are a multimillionaire. 
If you have millions and millions of dollars, why would you come in here and borrow 5000 That's just pennies for you. That's just drops in a bucket. The man responded, well, I told you I was going to Europe for two weeks. I needed a safe and a cheap place to park my brand new Rolls Royce. He had a problem, didn't he? He needed somewhere in New York City that was safe and cheap to park his car. And he came up with a pretty unexpected solution, a pretty smart solution, where he paid $15.41 to park his brand new car and keep it completely secure. Israel has a lot of problems. God says, I'm going to give a solution. Israel would have had no telling how many expectations for how great and how awesome and how big this solution was going to be. What is the solution? Well, you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and here's what Isaiah says. You have all these problems, here's the solution. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. I know you have all of these problems, Israel. You're sitting in captivity right now and it's a time of gloom and darkness and distress. But don't be afraid. You can take good courage because here's a solution that's going to change everything for you. It's a baby. A child who's going to be born from human parents. A child who's going to be given as a gift from God. Can you imagine how they would have responded to that? Are you kidding me? God, do you not know where we are right now? Can you not see our suffering? You see all of these problems. You promise a solution and it's a baby. A child who's going to be born. A son who's going to be given. You've got to be kidding with us. Cut, cut the jokes. Tell us what the real solution is. And God says this is the real solution. The solution to all of your problems right now is a child who's going to be born. A son who's going to be given. But it's not just any child. It's not just any son. Isaiah emphasizes three things about this child that's going to be born. First, he talks about his kingship. He says in chapter 9 and verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You can pick up this child and put him over your shoulder. God says this child who is coming, the government's going to be on his shoulder. In other words, he's going to be a king. He's going to reign. The government is going to be dependent upon Him. We'll talk about this a little bit more in just a few minutes, but when you look in verse 7, this son is described as a descendant of David who's going to sit on David's throne and rule over David's kingdom. There's an interesting parallel between verse 4 and verse 6. In verse 4, when God is talking to them about the freedom that they're going to have and the liberation they're going to have, he talks about the staff being taken off of their shoulder. You compare that with verse 6, the staff is going to be removed from Israel's shoulder when the government is placed on this child's shoulders. He's going to be a king. He's going to reign. And then Isaiah emphasizes to us his name. Whenever parents have a baby, shortly before, shortly after, what do they do? They give the child a name. And in a similar way, this child is going to have a name when we look at chapter 9 and verse number 6. But this naming is not going to be the way that we do it. 
God's not sitting down with a baby book and coming up with a cute or clever name for this child. This name that we find in chapter 9 and verse 6 is more about a title. These names explain to us who this child is going to be and what this child is going to do. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That word wonderful in the Old Testament refers to things that are supernatural or miraculous. This child is going to give miraculous counsel. He's going to be a supernatural teacher. Number two, he's going to be called Mighty God. This child is going to be strong. This child is going to be mighty. Generally, children are weak, but not this child. But it's not because he's in the 99th percentile in height and weight. He's going to be strong and mighty because he is God. He has both a human and a divine nature. Number three, his name is going to be called Everlasting Father. That term communicates to us two things about this child. We already said that he's going to be a king. He's going to be a king that is everlasting. A king that is eternal. Once he begins reigning, his reign is never going to come to an end. As it says in verse 7, he's going to reign from this time forth and forevermore. He's the everlasting father. The majority of rulers at this time were more like dictators. They were cruel. They were harsh. They only thought about themselves, not this king. This king's going to reign like a father. Like a father loves and cares for his children, this child is going to love and care and protect those who he reigns over. He is, he will be called the Prince of Peace. This context, as we noted, is a context of chaos. It's a context of, of conflict and distress and sorrow. This child is going to reign and he's going to be the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring peace between people. And most importantly, he's going to bring peace between people and God. His kingship, his name. And then Isaiah says, you need to understand something about his reign in chapter 9 and verse number 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His government is, and, and kingdom is going to continue to grow and increase until he reigns over all things. His kingdom's not going to know any physical boundaries. His kingdom is not going to know any physical limitations. It's going to be defined by two closely related characteristics. Number one, justice. As king, he's always going to do what's right. Fair and just. Number two, righteousness. As king, he's going to promote righteous principles. And he's always going to do what's right as opposed to doing what's wrong. Like we said just a few moments ago, he's going to be the descendant of David who sits on David's throne and rules over David's kingdom. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16, God makes a promise directly to David and says, your throne shall be established forever. This child is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Israel has a lot of problems. There's no denying that. But they're not hopeless. They have a lot of problems, but those problems aren't going to last forever. There's going to be a solution that's going to fix everything. A solution that would have been very unexpected. A child who's going to be born. A son who's going to be given. His kingship, His name, His reign is going to be the solution to all of the problems that they're facing. Now what about us? 
What about our lives? Perhaps when we think about Israel's problems, it makes us reflect on our own problems. Problems are not unique to the northern kingdom of Israel. You know that by experience. We might not be taken into Assyrian captivity, but that doesn't mean that we don't have problems. If we were to survey this auditorium this morning, I imagine we could come up with a pretty long list, a pretty diverse list of problems. Things that we're struggling with. Difficulties that are present in our lives. Things that are causing us to feel pain and stress and worry and anxiety on a daily basis. It might be the case that we need to hear the same message that Isaiah presented to the northern kingdom of Israel. Yes, we have problems, but we're not hopeless. Yes, we have problems, but those problems are not going to persist forever. We have problems, but God promises a solution that's going to change everything. God promises a solution that is one day going to fix everything. God, with this solution, points us forward to a time when all things will be made glorious. When our darkness will be transformed to light and our gloom will be transformed to joy. He points us forward to a time when we will be set free from the brokenness and sinfulness of this present age. He points us forward to a time when we will no longer be defeated, but our enemies will be defeated. We all have problems. God promises a solution that's going to change everything. It's the same solution that He presented to the children of Israel hundreds of years ago in Isaiah chapter 9. The solution to all of our problems, the answer to all of our questions, a child who is born, a son who is given. Now you go to passages like 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. You look at this from the perspective of Isaiah's original readers, they didn't understand this passage fully. Isaiah, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, wrote down this promise. But he didn't understand it fully. He didn't understand it completely. They didn't know who this child was. They didn't know who this son was going to be. But when we look at it from our perspective, we understand it perfectly, don't we? This son who's going to be born, this child who's going to be given, we know exactly who that is. This text is talking to us about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about the baby lying in the manger. And it's holding that event up as the solution to all of our problems. This text is talking about Jesus, isn't it? Even though Jesus was born into the world as a baby, we know from Revelation 19 and verse 16 that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is that promised Son of David, according to Matthew 1 and verse 1, who is sitting on David's throne right now and ruling over David's kingdom. Jesus is the wonderful Counselor. The supernatural teacher. Even his enemies had to admit in John 7 and verse 46 that no one ever spoke like this man speaks. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is strong. Jesus is mighty. It's because He's God. John chapter 1 and verse 1 teaches us that. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That same Word became flesh. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Not that the Father and the Son are exactly the same. Not that they are the same person. 
But Jesus reigns eternally like a father. He's not cold. He's not harsh. He's not only thinking about himself. He's not a controlling dictator. He reigns over his kingdom eternally as a father. He cares and loves for his followers so much that he calls them his little ones, his little children in passages like Matthew 10 and verse 42. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2, 14-17 makes that clear. Jesus, number one, is our peace. Number two, He makes peace. And number three, He came and preached peace to those who are near and to those who are far off. Jesus reigns over a kingdom that doesn't know physical boundaries. It doesn't know physical limitations. His kingdom will continue to increase until He reigns over all things. His kingdom is not of this world. John chapter 18 and verse 36. His kingdom will last eternally. Nothing is going to overcome it. Not even the gates of hell. According to Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, His reign is defined by justice. He's the one who brought forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. His reign is defined by righteousness. Allowing us as sinful people to live our lives. To abide in. To share in the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 21, we all have problems in our lives. This text teaches us to look no further than the child who is born and the son who is given. We all have problems in our lives. Maybe you're looking for a solution to those problems this morning. Look no further than the baby lying in the manger. It's not, don't hear me say that He's going to take away your problems. Hear me say that He's the solution to your problems. He is the answer to your questions. You know why? Because He didn't remain a child. He didn't remain a baby. And this is what Michael talked about last week. This child grew up. He grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. He grew up to live a perfect life and to leave a perfect example. He grew up to hang on the cross and to suffer for our sins. To take our place. To die the death that should have been ours. He grew up to lie in the cold, dark tomb. But then on the first day of the week, to overcome death. To conquer death. Giving hope to all of those who accept Him. He grew up to ascend back to the right hand of the Father where He's sitting right now interceding for us, reigning over His kingdom and serving as our faithful and trustworthy High Priest. We have problems in our lives. The solution to all of those problems is a child who is born, a son who is given. It's all about His kingship his name and His reign in our lives. The question that we have to answer is, do we trust Him? And I'm not just asking you, do you trust Him on the surface or do you believe that He's there? I'm asking you, do you trust Him with everything that you have? Are you willing to live faithfully to Him? Are you willing to take everything that you are and submit it at the feet of Jesus? He's the answer. He's the solution. The child has been born. The Son has been given. He promises glory. He promises light. He promises joy, freedom, and victory 
He promises to be the answer to your questions and the solution to your problems. Will you allow Him to be your solution? As together we stand and sing.